What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. And on today's episode... This race is far from over. There are dozens of states left to go. Nikki Haley losing the New Hampshire primary to Donald Trump. But she's vowing to stay in the race. And pollster Frank Luntz says it wasn't a total loss. Haley proved last night that she is a tremendous draw among independents, among moderates, among the people who take you from 45% of the vote to over 50%. And Boeing CEO Dave Calhoun is headed to D.C. for a meeting with lawmakers, including a ranking member of the Aviation Subcommittee, Senator Jerry Moran. Congress has a role here to make sure that NTSB and FAA are doing their jobs. The questions he'll be asking after years of sometimes fatal manufacturing mistakes. What we need to see is results and difference, and then a stamp of approval. Someone outside of Boeing telling us that what Boeing has done to correct any problems is making a difference. Plus, Netflix's big subscriber numbers, and everyone's wearing one. Well, almost. Whether it's Mark Benioff or you name the person, they all wear the ring. The Aura Ring now has a competitor in Samsung. Aura CEO Tom Hale on health wearables. Announcing uh, that you have a smart ring is pretty easy, although it doesn't take much to imagine that you could do it. It turns out that it's very difficult. Those stories and much more on this Wednesday, January 24th, 2024. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one. Cue please. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Yeah, middle of the week. We're ready for it. Hump day. Meanwhile, let's talk about uh, what's just happened in New Hampshire. Former President Donald Trump winning the New Hampshire primary with 91 percent of the expected votes in now. Trump holding a, holding a lead of about 55 percent to 43 percent over rival Nikki Haley. In his victory speech last night, Trump was joined on stage by former rivals Vivek Ramaswamy and Senator Tim Scott. Meantime, uh, Nikki Haley vowing to press on with her campaign. Here's what they have to say. New Hampshire is first in the nation. It is not the last in the nation. This race is far from over. There are dozens of states left to go. my sweet state of South Carolina. On the Democratic side, President Biden choosing not to file for the ballot following his request that South Carolina be the first state to count in his party's nominating process. But he won in New Hampshire after supporters waged a successful write-in campaign. And we're going to talk a lot more, as you might imagine, about the presidential race. I don't know what it leaves. I don't know what the options are at this point. Very small. Maybe, a, no, I don't know. It, it, she, I, I think she spent more than $31 million in New Hampshire, was there from the get-go. If you can't win in that state, it's 
pretty complicated. One option. There's one wild card. What's the wild card? Conviction on a felony. I don't even know if that, I don't even know if that would do it. A lot of I think they did in the exit polls. Would that change your mind? And a majority of I think it was a majority, at least a plurality of people said no. Not even that would change my mind. Joining us right now from New Hampshire is pollster and political strategist Frank Luntz. Frank, is it far from over, or was it done last night? It's it's somewhere in between. It's it's you can see the finish line, and the reason why is twofold. Number one, Donald Trump's support is incredibly intense. In fact, I've never seen anything like this in my 35 years of doing politics. His voters are not looking for anyone else. They're not trying to decide between Trump and Haley. They are completely and passionately pro-Trump. Second, Haley proved last night that she is a tremendous draw among independents, among moderates, among the people who take you from 45% of the vote over to over 50%. So if you're looking at the primary, Donald Trump is this close to getting the nomination. But if you're looking at the general election, then you have to give a second look to, to Nikki Haley simply because she attracts voters that Trump doesn't. And Andrew, I want to show you something. This is a T-shirt that I was given yesterday by a group that's operating out of is New Hampshire. Is it say enough or tough? Push, put it up oh, a little. We can't see it. We can't see it well enough. Hold it above your face. Hold it above. Yeah. Enough. Okay. Okay. Is that and a Nikki Haley shirt? No. Yeah, hold it and up that's again. the amazing thing. It's enough about politics. Enough about negativity. Enough oh, I see. about extremism. It's simply enough. Uh, who's but who's putting that shirt out? Is Nikki Haley putting that shirt out about Trump, or is Trump putting that shirt, or just broadly? It's just broadly. It's a statement about politics in America right now. And Andrew, one polling data point that I think is the most important: seventy percent of Americans don't want Trump versus Biden. They want somebody new and different, and that's who. Well, that they keep saying that, lead. and then it seems to be that they are voting very differently. So I don't really understand how and this. And that's been is that to be enough. The case. Thing has been your, you've been saying that. You know, we've had we've gone back and forth about. You made that T-shirt yourself, Luntz. You no, know, I many did, did not. You make? How many did you make? No, uh, I know. Way, I know, but that's. Been, know, I see why you held. But how do you say it's? It is. I hate to say it is what it is. That's what Tepper said about a hundred times. But with Donald Trump, you're not going to stop. The divisiveness, and that's that's the current milieu that we're going to be in until November. There's just no way around it, unless I don't know. I don't know what could possibly happen, Frank. But it's going to be to be nasty. It's going to be nasty. He can't pick Nikki Haley either, can he? That that would be a great VP for him, but that can't happen. I'm still betting on the governor of South Dakota, uh, Nikki um, Christy Noem, oh, as no. the person who Trump is most likely to pick. Or the gentleman who stood next to him yesterday, Tim Scott, because that adds. Here's what's important. It's not just winning the primary, because that you can't win the general election without winning the primary. But if you win the primary and you kill yourself for the general election, what good is that? Trump, if he is the nominee, and I think he will be, if he is the nominee, he still has to go from that 45, 46 percent and put him over the top. And so he needs something broader someone who brings in voters that he doesn't bring in. And the problem is, I don't know if he's humble enough to accept that fact. So just play this out. How is this going to go? And, and, and how much more money is Nikki Haley going to be able to raise, given these numbers? Because she's going to have to, if she's got to go the distance at this point in the ballgame, she does have this big fundraiser coming up in a couple of days. But after that, you know, folks only like to bet on people they think are absolutely going to win. 
Well, look, South Carolina, the polling numbers for her are horrible. Her home state, she's losing by more than two to one. And I don't know if that's going to change. I've been told by her people that the Super Tuesday numbers, where more than 10 states allow independents and Democrats to vote, those states, she has a much greater likelihood of winning because, again, she does draw people who aren't traditionally Republicans. However, Trump is going to kill her for that. And I believe he's going to go more negative. And frankly, Andrew, over the next 24 hours, her statement was made when she was losing by about 6 7% yesterday, maybe 8%. In the end, she lost by double digits. We don't know what's going to happen later today. It is actually possible that she'll say enough for the campaign. In the end, she's going to have to draw among traditional voters. And frankly, Donald Trump's support is so intense, I don't see it happen. 12, 12 is as good as it's going to get for her, probably. That was, I mean, New Hampshire is as good. And in, in, in Super Tuesday, I'd be surprised. If, I mean, if she did 12 in any of those states, only losing by 12, that would be shocking, wouldn't it? Do you think she can do single digits in any of those states? I'm not. Well, the hostility to Trump is as strong as his support for I know. Trump. It's crazy. And, well, but, and so we've already polarized around but let this. Let me ask you then, Frank, get to a general. And let's assume that there's no conviction, though I'd love to hear what you think if there is some kind of conviction. But assuming there's I no conviction. Say, I'd, love to, I'd love it if there were 91 convictions. No, no, convictions. no. But <laughs> if, if, it, if it is head-to-head -head Trump, Trump versus Biden, I'm imagining that that's going to also galvanize Democrats to come out in force as well. The question is, do you think that there's enough of them, given the polls that you've also mm. uh, alluded to, where Democrats say that they uh, you know, wish that there was an alternative? I don't want to say all Democrats say that, but some Democrats are saying that. I hope to bring on your air the focus group that we just completed with Biden voters, specifically Biden voters who will not be voting for him in 2024. Yes, it is about affordability. Yes, it is about leadership. But in the end, the one thing that Joe Biden cannot impact is his age. And that age issue is going to become greater and greater. Donald Trump has his weaknesses, and they are this wide. But so does Joe Biden. And we're going to have an election of the lesser of two evils. And Joe Biden's support is getting weaker as time goes on. So you think it makes it harder for Joe Biden not a, that, that a Trump win is because people have looked at some of the polls showing that Nikki Haley beats Biden. Right. And it's, a, it's, a, it's a, that she actually beats him more easily. And it was a grand strategy for the Democrats to get Donald right. Trump. Do you think that's not the case? That's what I'm trying to understand. I think, well, first off, electability does not matter within the Republican Party. They want someone who will fight for you, according to the exit polls that you guys participated in. A fighter is more important than electability. However, okay. when Bush comes to shove, that age issue makes Biden so weak that I'm surprised that organized Democrats, congressional Democrats, senatorial Democrats, the Democratic Party for, for the right. governors has not said enough to Joe right. Biden because he's the weakest Democrat against Donald Trump. Okay, Frank Luntz, always good to see you. Uh, we look forward to seeing you. I'm sure we'll be talking a lot more over the next couple weeks and months as this continues to play out all year. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, Boeing CEO Dave Calhoun is heading to Capitol Hill to meet with lawmakers. The 737 MAX 9 grounding is the result of only the latest in a series of manufacturing errors at his company. Kansas Senator Jerry Moran is equipped with some serious questions about safety. 
The FAA, rightfully so, is looking at Boeing's manufacturing process in light of safety, its supply chain, what the problems are, and they're doing that because this is not just one incident with a Boeing airplane. We'll be right back with that conversation. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, Wealth Strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC Live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Joe Kernan, along with Becky Quick and Andrew Ross Sorkin, and we're back. This morning, Boeing CEO Dave Calhoun is heading to Capitol Hill to meet with senators about the grounding of the 737 MAX 9 planes. Calhoun has meetings scheduled with Senators uh, Ted Cruz, uh, Mark Warner, and Jerry Moran, who's going to join us. Senator Moran is the ranking member on the Aviation Subcommittee. Separately, uh, Boeing, uh, Boeing, Boeing, Boeing is holding a quality stand-down tomorrow at the Seattle area location where it makes a 737 aircraft, uh, pausing production and delivery operations for a day. Employees will attend quality workshops uh, and pause to evaluate and make recommendations about uh, the processes. The, the line. Boeing shares are down nearly 20% since the start of the year. That sounds That's weird. the solution. That sounds we weird to me. Stand down That's for a, a day. 24 so hours. And, and they're going to go to some, uh, some classes and stuff about quality. Like we do. Yep. Yeah. On our like we do. Controls. Like our HR stuff. Is there a color between orange and red? Yellow? I don't know. See, we, we're allowed to say things. Burnt what's what's the, bo- the green is okay. That's like, that's like you. Green. You, you would never, you'd never say anything. Then there's yellow. I would get never, near, like, I, would even, I would never even get near the yellow. No, there's yellow you where it's like yellow. I live in yellow. Travel to orange and sometimes get the red. get the dark red, blood red, uh, almost. You gotta live. You gotta live, Andrew. You gotta live, right? Can't have the man telling you what's okay and what's, because it's changing. Andrew, let me Mirandize you. Anything you say can and will be held against you. Yeah. I'm very happy to live in the green. Very happy to live in the green. Uh, Okay, live in the green. Boeing CEO Dave Calhoun will meet with senators today in Washington. One of those lawmakers joins us right now. Senator Jerry Moran of Kansas, the lead Republican on the Commerce Aviation Safety Subcommittee. And, and Senator, thank you for being with us. This is an issue that's important on, on, on so many levels, from the safety of flights and consumers thinking about those things, to, down to the very economy, because Boeing is so important to our national economy. What do you want to hear today from Dave Calhoun? Well, I'm anxious for that conversation. I appreciate him coming to visit. And I would say that uh, the goal here 
is to have him reassure me and others that they understand the challenges that they face, that I want to know what they learned from their meetings with their employees, uh, both in Washington State and in Kansas. Uh, and I want to make sure they're listening to those employees. Often I think that that's a place we can learn how things can be improved. And I want him to know how seriously I take, we take this issue. It's, you know, my grandkids are on airplanes, my wife and I are on airplanes, our kids are on airplanes. We want safety. And I would reiterate while this is an important economic uh, issue, uh, none of this works in the aviation sector if the American public, the people who fly, uh, don't have an appreciation and understanding that air travel is safe. So while I care about the economy and I care about the employees and uh, workers at home in Kansas, their jobs are important to me. Those jobs are only long term uh, if uh, Boeing and their supply chain get their act together and Americans know it's safe to fly because it is safe to fly. Senator, it wasn't just the door plug, though. Then we saw a video of a, of a Boeing plane that was, I guess, in the Miami area with the look like flames coming out of one of the engines. Yesterday, we heard about a tire popping off a Boeing plane here in the United States as well at a different airport. Um, is this enough for you to question the safety aspect of that? Well, I, I assume there's certainly heightened attention to these kind of stories. But I would, I would highlight that, look, there's two, two investigations, and I would point out a third investigation that's going on right now. One is NTSB. Their job is to find out what happened with the door plug and the Alaska airline when the door came off and the, the plane decompressed. Decom there's a second investigation, and, and they're separate. They're different, and that is the FAA. So NTSB looking at the incident. The FAA, rightfully so, is looking at Boeing's manufacturing process in light of safety its supply chain, what the problems are, and they're doing that because this is not just one instance, one incident at, uh, with a Boeing airplane. So the FAA is taking this broad view of what needs to be done uh, at Boeing and the supply chain and what in, we need to do for aviation safety. The third one, and this was evidence to me at a hearing we had with the chair of NTSB, uh, as well as the administrator of FAA last week, and then Congress has a role here to make sure that NTSB and FAA are doing their jobs. And is there something legislatively that needs to be done? And we have pending in front of the Senate right now the FAA reauthorization bill. So there's a perfect opportunity for us to do whatever might be short-term benefit to the safety of air travel. And in the long term, I would expect the committee, the Commerce Committee, uh, the subcommittee that I'm the ranking Republican on to take a look at safety in particular and is there a bill addressing that as well. So NTSB, uh, the FAA, and the United States Senate. So is there anything that Dave Calhoun can say to you today to make things better? Or, you know, it sounds like, it, you know, talk is cheap. Let's look at all these other um, things that you're going to be doing in these other investigations. That, I mean, that's the answer. What you just said is, yes, I mean, there's reassurance that can be said with words, but the reality is that what we need to see is results and difference, and then a stamp of approval, some, someone outside of Boeing telling us that what Boeing has done to correct any problems uh, is making a difference, and that would be the FAA uh, and perhaps Congress. So it's an opportunity for us to make sure that he knows the importance of this issue, and I can't imagine that he doesn't. And uh, this matters to our economy. It certainly matters to me in Kansas where 
We are the air capital of the world in Wichita, and we supply lots of parts to Boeing. I mean, we've, we've seen this movie before, Senator. When would you say it's time to say, okay, we need to change here? I mean, it, it, okay, you're gonna do this, you're gonna do that, oh, we're gonna look at this, we're gonna, you know, we take this very seriously. But we seriously have heard that. How many, how many times would you say in the last six or seven years? We've heard it six or seven times. I, I, over and over, I would say, we've heard reassurances. And uh, the question is, is there something about Boeing particularly, uh, culture, process, uh, oversight, that uh, needs to be addressed? And again, you, you always want to be reassured, but you never have that reassurance until you actually see the results and know the difference, and you know it as a matter of fact, not a matter of uh, promise or uh, opinion. And, it, and it's always, well, the guy there is going to be able to fix it. Uh, we don't want to bring in a new guy mid, midstream. And, but then something else happens, and it's still the guy. And then something else happened, and it's still, it's still the guy. It is. I mean, we've seen lots of changes at, at Boeing in, in management. Uh, I, we've lived this. The MAX was a tremendously damaging issue to certainly the safety of uh, Americans, our national economy, and the manufacturing process. Our country, I mean, we face tremendous challenges around the world. We need a manufacturing base that works, and aviation is at the forefront. We have lots of jobs and export lots of product. This is a huge component of our economy and it comes home to Kansas to roost uh, pretty quickly. Spirit, the spinoff, the former Boeing unit, was responsible for putting these door plugs in on this unit. Um, they're based in Kansas, and there have been a lot of questions circulating about whether Spirit Aerosystems has enough oversight, because it's not Boeing who can directly oversee that. Are, are you thinking about calling them in as well? Um, absolutely, and I've had a telephone conversation. I've uh, had a conversation with the new CEO of Spirit, so this is not just a Boeing issue, it's the supply chain issue. And we learned in our hearing last week that the, the, this originates in a subsidiary of Spirit Aerosystems in Malaysia. So a lot of answers yet to be determined and mostly there I'm, I'm anxious to see what NTSB says about whether this occurred in manufacturing or in application or in maintenance uh, by the airline, by the prime Boeing or by the subcontractor Spirit or their subsidiary Malaysia. That just points us in the direction of where, where the problem might lie, and we don't yet know that. It's the, the, the difficult things when we want to know answers today, and there's a number of investigations going on that we keep waiting to hear what the results are. Senator Moran, thank you. Uh, you're very welcome. This is an important issue, and I look forward to my conversation with the CEO of Boeing today. Coming up next on Squawk Pod. People come up to each other and say, what's your score today? How'd you do? We're talking sleep and health measurements wrapped around your finger. CEO of Aura, Tom Hale. Our innovation, our investment, hundreds of millions of dollars, countless hours of effort, you know, we've yielded a product that people love. And so, look, we welcome the competition. It's validation for the category. His take on new Aura Ring competitor from Samsung, plus today's other big stories like tech layoffs and some impressive Netflix numbers, all right after this. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? 
<clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com, designed for work. Welcome back to Squawk Pod from CNBC. Our anchors are fresh off their trip to the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, where they mingled on barely any sleep with world and business leaders and other journalists. And a lot of them, apparently, were wearing a little titanium piece of technology, a ring our very own Andrew Ross Sorkin touts to Becky Quick and Joe Kernan pretty much all the time. But now the wearable health ring segment is getting some competition. Andrew will explain. Samsung recently announced it's developing a smart ring. We've created a powerful and accessible health and wellness device here to change the shape of future health like only Samsung can. Meet the Galaxy Ring. We talked about this briefly in Davos uh, the day that it was announced. This now putting Samsung in direct competition with smart ring maker Aura and raising the stakes in the tech wearables market. Uh, Joining us right now is Aura CEO Tom Hale. And the reason I mentioned it even in Davos, Tom, is as you walk around Davos, at least among the sort of um, mogul crowd and and maybe wannabe moguls like, I mean, maybe I'm in the wannabe category because I wear one. (laughs) You know, so many people have their Aura ring and they literally come up to each other. You guys don't wear one, but people come up to each other and say, what's your score today? How'd you do? There's a lot of people in Davos who are like, don't, I don't want to look at my score right now because they're all screwed up. But this is a... um, Something, you know, whether it's Mark Benioff or you name the person, uh, they all wear the ring. But, Tom, thus far you have not had what I would describe as meaningful competition. This seems to change that dynamic. Yeah, look, we're an innovator in this space, and we've been working on this for 10 years, and it's a hard problem. It's not easy. Uh, announcing uh, that you have a smart ring is pretty easy, although uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't take much to imagine that you could do it. It turns out that it's very difficult. Our innovation, our investment, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars, countless hours of effort, you know, we've yielded a product that people love. And so, look, we welcome the competition. It's validation for right. the category. But, Tom, here's the thing. So, by the way, and, and Joe would probably want me to disclose, my, my readiness score this morning is a 77. Yep. Though okay. I did get an 85 on my sleep last night. So, so my, what my readiness is worse. Was it digestive? I had a, harder, a higher heart rate. I ate some sushi, which I think was a little salty last night. My HRV was very low. It's a longer story. You're, you're, we don't need to discuss this on the air. You're sick. That's why. And they all seem to think I have a cough. <laughs> you're but I'm, sick. I'm okay, you're Tom. You're sick. Both of you are. The, the, <laughs> she thinks we're both sick, Tom. You are. The question, though, is this. Uh, one of the things that we've been following over the last uh, several months now has been this battle uh, over a patent dispute uh, on Apple's watch around uh, a blood, um, blood oxygen levels. You have, I think, 120 patents on this little ring. I'm holding the one that I wear. Can somebody else even make a ring? Um, and should they be able to make a ring? I mean, I think there's also a public policy question about this um, without infringing on your patents, meaning I imagine you're going to be combing and, and breaking apart there the Samsung ring to go sue them. Look, we've we've been investing in IP for 10 years. Uh, that that 150 patents, those are the ones that you can see. Uh, there are ones that have been filed that haven't even landed yet. I, I think it's very important for us to protect the innovations uh, that, that we brought to the market and to make sure that we can do that. The, the Apple and Massimo story is a David and Goliath story for the ages. I mean, who would have thought that Massimo, this this company that, that I think very few people have actually heard of, but is incredibly innovative and it has invented the category of pulse oximetry, you know, it, it has been able to 
get Apple to take a product off the shelf and remove a feature from their product. So look, uh, having an IP strategy is critical, but it's not where we're focused. We're focused on delivering for our customers and creating value for people like you so you can understand your health journey and figure out whether or not you're getting sick after Davos. I, I didn't even know what the guy, he goes, we're going to make a ring like only Samsung can make it. So I need them to explain that to me. What, what if I want a ring like only Aura can make it? And what... What, what are we talking about? What kind of ring would that be with like a big widescreen TV ring or what, what kind of ring would Samsung make <laughs> Samsung make that only Samsung can make it? I, that's just like, what was that? Tell Listen, me. Listen, I think I think, you know, it wouldn't be the first time that marketing has been um, exaggerating what's possible. I think the reality is, is that we'll see what what gets delivered in the market. We'll see whether or not it infringes on us. And and frankly, we'll take the action that's appropriate. Um, honestly, we welcome the validation. We welcome the the the, the idea that smart rings are something that people should have. Can you just explain this to, to, to us though here? Because it is an interesting public policy question. Given what you know about the Massimo back and forth with Apple. Is it possible that anybody could ever create a way to monitor blood oxygen that wouldn't infringe on their patent? Meaning, are there, are there certain things, and this could be true of your ring right. too, and this is why there's an interesting public policy question about whether there could ever really be competition. If certain patents um, are so expansive, or I don't know if so expansive, but uh, expansive so enough, yeah. can somebody invent something that, that, that does the same thing in a different way? Look, anything is possible, but there are certainly things like the laws of physics or the, the approach that you might take to pack a, a small number of sensors into a very small space or, or the algorithms that you use to create biosignals and turn them into meaningful data. I think those are things that we'll we'll see when when the product's in the market and the evidence is in. Quite frankly, uh, you know, we're just excited that the the whole category is getting a right. huge vote of. Is of there, cate- there's of, no blood of, oxygen. There's no blood oxygen um, sensor on the ring, right? Uh, actually, blood oxygen is one of the things that we sense, and and How we is do that it in a than the pulse ox. Uh, it, it's it's the same it's the same mechanism, but it's actually a very different approach. For for example, the number of sensors and the way that you sense it. Ah, it's, see, that's, it's, Tom, that's where I feel like there's a the there's a that's where I feel like there's an end potentially, though. I mean, people could say you just changed the way the pulse ox already did it, so why couldn't people change the way you do it? They. You did it this way, laying out the ones, and they're going to do it this way, laying out the ones. I mean, that's- All right, you do have blood oxygen. I turn my blood oxygen off, Tom, because people say that once you know your blood oxygen is okay, and if you don't have blood, ox- blood oxygen issues, that it, that it drains the battery. True? It's classic that the blood oxygen, once you know that you don't have something like sleep apnea or that you're not sick, that, that you don't need to see that. It's not a metric that changes okay, so overnight. I turn mine off because I do think it takes, it, takes, it takes battery. Wait, you can measure sleep apnea with, with, with an aura ring? Yeah, you can. Lots because of people have the actual that, test for it is such a pain in the ass. You got to do it on your back, got to do it on your side. I'm avoiding it. I may have it. it. It's, it's something that affects a large population. I will population. buy you an aura ring as a present because you know this is the one thing. I mean, will you I, hook it up to my I iPhone? Do, I, <clears throat> will you hook it I'm up? I'm not to, sponsored. I, I well, what if I want a ring like I, only Samsung? Like, what if I, like oh. only Samsung can make it? Well, maybe we'll have to wait. Will for you that hook to it come up out. to my iPhone? That's what I I'm worried it, about. How I'll do you hook do it that? Up to your iPhone. You Bluetooth or something? Yeah, Bluetooth. Yeah, Tom, can you help? Can you help? Absolutely. <laughs> Listen, we'll, we'll make sure that you get connected. Uh, you know, the reality is, is that we're not trying to get you into a closed, you know, ecosystem. We're 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 across ecosystems. We work across iOS and one. Android. You should get me. We're, we're there for you. I think I said I'd buy him one. Uh, well, I think it's about two hundred ninety-nine bucks. Oh, that's right. Tom, is that right? Two ninety-nine. Two ninety-nine. You got it. That'll never happen. Yeah. Why? 
Well, you could say it's been for the last five Christmases or something, right? Although you oh. sent ice cream. He sent you ice cream. He does. I don't. I sent you ice cream. I don't yeah. send him. Did, I send him my not, good it, wishes. And the, and the ice cream's not good for your war ring score. Tom, it's great to see you. <laughs> Appreciate it. Thank, Thank you, you Andrew. It's great to be here. Cheers. Uh, next year, I'm sending you cigarettes. Here are the rest of the stories that got us squawking today, like layoffs and Netflix. Major companies announcing a, a bunch of new layoffs just in the last 24 hours. eBay is saying it's now laying off 1,000 full-time employees. That's about 9% of its workforce. This company's CEO telling employees to work from home today. That's to provide space, they say, in privacy for laid-off employees to be notified. This has become a new trend where people are told, don't come to the office on days when people are being laid off, yeah. which I think creates its own sense of... Fear. Fear, but not just fear, but it's um, you're doing it alone. I mean, there's something there's there's something to be said about not having to walk out of a building holding a box with everybody with your watching. Colleagues watching yeah, you. I don't and know so some people that. think it's more dignified yeah. to do it this way. I kind of take people, that line. That's interesting. And then some people think that they want to be able to, you know, see their know. colleagues. If I'm getting fired. I don't think I want an audience. Do you want to be able to get your desk, though? So a big thing is a lot of people who want to be able to actually have know that everything they're, they're, they're taking with them. Let me see. If, a lot, I, if a lot I have of the, an audience, the only thing I'm thinking is... But a lot of the reason that, that the companies are doing it is what, for the security What finger you're sticking up? Is, is uh, for the security yeah. I, it, But it's... No. I, I don't know. It's, I'm ready. I can leave... Uh, you can leave right now? I can leave right have, now. You don't have a desk. <laughs> your, I got some bar. straws and stuff, okay. but those aren't really mine. Well, a couple uh, bananas. Um, did you see the LA Times with the layoffs they've just had? There was yeah. somebody who was complaining we just posted it on Twitter, just talking about how they were on a business oh, trip. Pens. They're worried about their credit card getting shut off because right. they'd already had issues with the hotel and other things being able to get back. Not only were they not told, they were fired in the middle of a business, business trip, trip. some of these things. That's a little. I would be shocked if, by the way, if you have a thousand people at eBay, you'd think that one of them would probably on a business trip too. I think this is how things happen. That's harsh. Meantime, online uh, retailer Wayfair providing more details about a recently announced uh, round of layoffs that they're having. They're going to cut 13% of their workforce at an all-hands meeting yesterday. See, I believe they did this in person. Executives said employees who work remotely were more likely to be laid off. This is oh. an interesting sort of new phenomenon in the work-from-home trend. Uh, Wayfair's co-chair saying a sale of the company isn't being considered at the meeting. He said if bankruptcy is inevitable, then shame on all of us for not working harder. A spokesman oh. later clarifying uh, that he was trying to emphasize the future of the company is in Wayfair's control. CBC has confirmed that TikTok has cut about 60 sales and advertising jobs. The company described it as a routine reorganization, said that any of the workers could apply to the 120 open internal roles that are posted. Um, and meantime, fintech startup Brex cutting about a fifth of its workforce. The company's founder and CEO saying the company grew too quickly and would reduce layers between leaders and the actual work that affects customers. Netflix shares soaring on new subscriber and revenue numbers. Julia Borston joins us right now. She's got more on that. Julia, big move for the stock today. A big move for the stock, up 10% pre-market. And a lot of that is because of what the company talked about on its earnings call, which was its $5 billion deal with TKO for WWE's Raw, which it announced just yesterday morning. The company is saying yesterday that it sees an opportunity not just around live content for the WWE, but also creating more scripted programming and also internationally where they say WWE has been historically underdistributed. But co-CEO Ted Sarandos stressed that this does not signal a change to Netflix's sports strategy, and he gave no comment on any potential interest in NBA rights. 
we are thrilled uh, to bring this WWE live programming to our members around the world. Uh, WWE Raw is sports entertainment, which is right in the sweet spot of our sports business, which is the drama of sport. Um, think of this is uh, 52 weeks of live programming every week, every year. Uh, it feeds our desire to expand our live event programming. The company also saying it is not interested in acquiring linear assets, which are effectively the traditional TV companies or media giants that may be up for grabs. And they said that they don't believe that further M&A among the traditional entertainment companies will change the competitive environment. Now, this all comes, as Netflix reported, faster than expected, 12 percent revenue growth on a big subscriber beat, more than 13 million new subscribers added. That's 4.2 million more subscribers than anticipated. That number clearly bolstered by the growth of Netflix's ad-supported lower-cost option. They say that now 40% of all Netflix signups in its ads markets are choosing that option, and its ads membership is up 70% sequentially. The company talking a lot on the call about the potential to build out the ad business and also to raise prices after the page sharing price increases have after the page sharing, um, which is sort of effectively a price increase, has been absorbed. They also talked eventually about tapping into the huge engagement they're seeing around video games on the platform. So, guys, that could be an area which Netflix uses as a growth driver down the line. Yeah, you know, I, I was thinking it may not be a coincidence that their subscriber numbers were so strong in the quarter when all the college students went back to college and suddenly couldn't use their parents' passwords anymore, right? Like, <laughs> you got kids in college, yeah. you see all yeah, over the I mean, place, like, <laughs> right? The fourth quarter is traditionally a very strong quarter. Um, Netflix is, you know, often given as a holiday present or associated with people um, sort of getting a new gadget and then adding Netflix to that. But I think what we're seeing here and what is so interesting is that they've had these two levers to pull. One is the page sharing cracking down on freeloaders. That is working. And they're saying it's working so well that we're going to be able to raise prices. And then the other piece of this is the ad-supported lower price subscription. And these two things really work together. If you're kicked off your parents' account and you want to start paying for Netflix, the fact that you could pay less, watch some ads, that really is a, is a helpful option. But I think one thing that was really clear here about this WWE news is it is 100% about Netflix becoming an ad-supported business or building out that revenue stream and using that live programming to get people to tune in and, and watch those ads in real time. And that's really going to be a, a huge piece of this company's future. Julia, thank you. It is exciting. A lot to see here. Make sure uh, that you join us tomorrow. It's Thursday, I'm told. That's the podcast for today. Thank you for tuning in, as always. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from that three-hour TV broadcast right into your ears, please follow Squawk Pod wherever you're listening now. Have a great day, and we'll meet you right back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.